Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, um, before we get into it, I want to thank everybody who listened to the episode I had on Nana. I love that show. It's a big, weird love letter to punk rock and music in a way that not many other things are. And actually a way that Paradise Kiss is, which is by Ayazawa, so it makes sense. But if you're looking for another show that's also big love letter of music, you haven't heard one of the surprising, and this always surprises me and warms my heart, um, you haven't heard one of the highest listened to show episodes of this podcast, you can go back and you can listen to my episode on Beck, which is all about kind of a, a indie rock band in in... Japan making it big around the world, and it's it's a really fascinating show. It's an even more fascinating manga because of how much of like the feel of the music industry, um, they that that show and manga managed to just capture immediately. But um, thanks for checking out last episode, and so. Before I get into what we're talking about this episode, um, I had a very anime night on Wednesday night when I, um, the, which is technically yesterday night from when I'm recording this, but you'll probably hear this on Friday, which by the way, happy smash mess, which is what I heard someone refer to today as in, um, on the internet because at, by, by the time you hear this, you may be listening to this while playing Smash Brothers Ultimate or Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I um I pre-ordered that game. I'm gonna check it out. I've never played Smash. Actually, that's not true. I played Smash for all five seconds, been like, holy shit! I am bad at this. And then like put it down forever. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. I suspect I might be into it. With like an e- with not an even playing field, but like a playing field that doesn't make me want to jam my controller into my own eye socket. Um, but I also had a very like Otaku America anime experience. Um, because I went to I was in New York. And I went to GameStop as I want to do in New York. I don't necessarily buy stuff at GameStop. I like, like, seeing what's there, seeing what's out there. And at the GameStop down by... At the GameStop down in Herald Square, if you are if you are a listener in New York, you know there's a GameStop down by Herald Square. If you don't, well, there is one. Um, and it's got a ThinkGeek in the bottom and I don't think I've ever purchased anything out of that ThinkGeek ever. I don't think I've ever... No, that's not true. I purchased a Gundam kit that I never finished out of a ThinkGeek once. Um, one of my more ill-fated purchases is I thought, Hey, you like building Gundams? No, you don't. I built, I built three model kits in my life. Actually, four. One was a Zoid. That one doesn't exist anymore. It kind of slowly fell apart. Um, <laughs> but... I was just kind of looking around, looking at the figures, since I I have a figure habit that I have been, like, avoiding, <laughs> like, successfully 
not indulging in for the past long while. But I always look at figures like, oh, I will buy you one day because I have a problem. But I heard the um, employee behind me was talking to a customer and he mentioned G Gundam and I like snapped around like a psycho. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you into G Gundam? I'm like, it has a special place in my heart, that show. And he's, and then he was like, but it's so weird. And then um, we got to talk about Gundam. And as all 30-somethings who are into Gundam, or as all 20-somethings who are into Gundam, I'm not 30 yet. Don't age myself up that much yet. You, you, you still have time, Alex. Um, we eventually got to Gundam Wing, which I posited to him like, hey, what if Gundam, but with a boy band in it? <laughs> and he... He liked that concept so much. He liked... And then I also said, what if we added the Backstreet Boys to Gundam and we just followed the sad Backstreet Boy for the entire show? Gundam Wing. Um, he liked that concept so much that he just straight up was like, I need to shake your hand, sir. Um, but yeah, so... After that, I went and I got, I stuffed my face full of chicken from Snippers, and I went to the theater to see a little movie called Mirai. This is your baby sister, Kun. Sister? Isn't she precious? She is. I have to be gentle with her. She's staring at you, Kuhn. Come on, her eyes can't even focus yet. Well, she sure looks like she's staring at me. You must always be nice to her, okay? Okay. And you have to protect her no matter what. Yeah. So, not many people know this, probably, because I don't think I've... Actually, I have talked about a, um... Why am I drawing? A, a of... A, a hosted... A, I don't know why I drew a blank on his name. That's weird. I have talked about a Memorial hosted a film on this podcast. Specifically, The Boy and the Beast. You can go listen to that. It's somewhere in the podcast feed under this one, or before this one, however that works out for you and your podcatcher of choice. Um, <laughs> but I I really like Momoro hosted his work. I, I He has this tendency towards, f like, furries. That is 
ever present, we'll say. It is always in his movies, but it it doesn't bother me. It's just very clear that that's the thing, that that's a calling card of his in a way that I'm sure Tumblr is okay with. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, so Momoro Hosoda had a new movie out called, and it is called, or has a new movie out, it's called Mirai. And I, he is responsible for making one of my favorite anime movies of all times, and that is Summer Wars. I haven't done a show on Summer Wars yet. Um, I don't think I've done a show on Summer Wars yet. But I, I, I love that movie. I always will love that movie. I, and he, and I've always followed him as a director because he, how should I put this? He, he writes a really good young protagonist. And even better, even better, he writes really good young female protagonist, if that makes any sense. Um, but he doesn't always write, but his stories don't revolve around female prota protagonists. There's always a strong female, it seems like there's always a strong female character in his stories, maybe with the exception of The Boy and the Beast, but the, uh, he he writes about he writes with such the movies the films he makes have such kind of imagination and happiness to them that it's it's easy to fall it's easy to fall in love with a memorial hosted of film and what's interesting about this one is the amount of if you watch Summer Wars, you're struck by the atmosphere that they pump into that, that is pumped into that movie. It has this, it has the atmosphere of summer just kind of flowing all through it constantly from like the concept of a sudden summer romance to like a summer adventure to all of those things. If you watch um, The Boy and the Beast, it has this kind of teen angst to it that doesn't exist kind of anywhere else. But then later it has this kind of like growing up quality to it. If you watch if you watch Wolf Children, um, another one of his movies, possibly the furriest actually no, the boy the boy and the beast is definitely the furriest of his movies. The Wolf Children Wolf Children is a close second though. Um but Wolf Children has this, it has this interesting, like, conversation about parenting and about how children see their parents after the fact, after they've grown up-ness to that movie. Um, but what's interesting about Mirai is that it is, it is about, a, it's, Okay, so spoiler alert for Mirai. If you still want to see the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening here and I won't feel bad. But if you don't care or you want to hear me talk about the movie, continue. Um, so 
Mirai is about a young kid named Kun, who is, and which took me a minute to like get used to because usually Kun is a suffix. It's like Chan or something. So just a kid named Kun is very just like very like there's not uh, another name there's not the rest of an actual name on in front of that. But no, it's about a kid named Kun getting coming to terms with the fact that he has a baby sister and and what that really and what that means and what it means to not be an only child anymore and what it means to sh- to share your life and your family with a new member of your family and i i can't I can't I, I can't immediately identify with that because I am an only child. Um but if you ever ask an only child like do you think you'd ever want a sister? Like we like the idea but we like at the same point like we like the idea as grown humans who could handle sharing our shit with with another human. But as, like, the, like, pitiful child in us, it's like, no, I don't want to share my toys with you. You seem stupid. Uh, but this takes an even kind of more important framing for that. Kuhn has a really hard time not being the golden child. But the way that this show... The way that this movie deals with that is really interesting because um, they are trying to figure out a name for the baby and they decide to name her Mirai, which in Japanese translates to future. So, and Mirai, the, the child, the baby, has a rat on her hand. And the gra- and they point out and they and the grandma says, "I hope that goes away for her sake because it's it uh, and it, they have all these really interesting family dynamics in this movie. They have the mother who is this very strong will willed working mom mom character. They have the stay at home dad who is just like." Just the sweetest, nicest guy, but all, at the same time, like, doesn't really have his shit together as much as, like, he would like. He has his shit together as much as people seem to expect him to have it together, but he doesn't have it together as much as he wants to. And the same is kind of true of the mom. They're, like, a they're a really well-fleshed-out young couple who's... Like, ha- dealing with having this second kid and being like, holy shit, we did this, we thought we were prepared because we only did this, like, I don't know how, they don't really say how old Kuhn is, but I would imagine he's probably like, six, seven, maybe eight, and just like, that was too much time to elapse for them to have, like, realized, like, oh, last time we did this, we sucked. We still suck. Um, and it's, it's really refreshing to see them, like, to see them be like, oh, 
we're still bad at this and not be like, oh, we raised this baby perfectly this time. Um, cause I, I think there's a lot, I think there's probably a lot exploring the idea of having your first kid and what it means to have your first kid and the way that destroys your life. But I would imagine that it is less explored what having the second kid is like and how that and how you deal with that and how you shift back into like dealing with a new baby. Um, and that was really refreshing to see that it wasn't like, it's not treated like, oh, this is the first kid. Um, but so Kuhn is initially really, really, really excited to like, have a bit, have a baby, have a baby sibling, and like he's he's like he's like obsessed with the baby, and it's it just, but then it sets in for him, he's not number one anymore, that and it, the show does a really the movie does a really good job, and um this is probably entirely Hosoda, of. Showing that, you know, yes, the parents aren't paying attention to Kuhn as much as they did. They are, they're not like doting over him, they're not taking care of him, but they are, they, they are paying attention to him. They're, they're spending time with him, they're, they're you know, make, cooking him, making him breakfast, dressing him, feeding him, but he's a, he's a, he's a kid. He, he can, like, he's not... Can they play with him? Yes. Can he go play by himself? Also, yes. Is there a newer, more, like, labor-intensive small human in their lives? Also, yes. So it does a really good job of kind of showing you and taking you through the emotions of Kuhn as he's realizing, as he's realizing, like, oh, mom and dad love this kid more than me. But then, his first encounter with a with an imaginary quote unquote person is with their dog, <laughs> who's just this just disheveled homeless looking middle who is personified as this disheveled looking homeless middle aged man who's like I used to be the prince of the house. I used to be hot shit. And then you showed up and fucked it all up. And <laughs> I forget the dog's name, but he's really great. <laughs> Just the idea that So this so this was about like five minutes in the movie where you have this encounter and they and I don't know how much um, Momoro Hosoda is into, like, architecture and cool-ass houses, but he definitely uses them a lot. There is a, the motif of the, of the house, of, there's the setting of the house where most of the movie technically, ta most of the movie takes place in most of the real, where almost all of the 
scenes of real in that take place in reality take place in in Summer Wars. They take place in this big old fancy Japanese family estate. Um, but then the in um, Wolf Children the they move out to this big old fancy country estate um and in this movie the the majority of the movie that takes place in reality takes place in this insane overdesigned skinny ass house that the husband in this movie, who is an architect, at the point which you encounter him, he's a freelance architect, had designed their, like, quote-unquote dream house, but was definitely also, like, the house that would fit in this skinny-ass lot they have, which is really hilarious. Um, and so the way the house is laid out is, they're it's like it's laid out like on a hill. So the bedroom, their bedroom, or bedrooms. I, I'm assuming bedroom. It's like a family style bedroom, is on the top level, and then you take some steps down, and there's the kitchen, and then you take some steps down, and there's the like living room, TV room, family room, family area. And then you take some steps down, and you and then you go out of a door. And the reason why I'm explaining this is because it's important for like the plot of the film. Believe it or not, you go out this glass door. It's like glass sliding door enclosure, and you're like outside. You're fully outside, but in like a courtyard and like a surrounded courtyard, and it's just this green lawn. And this one small tree, and that small tree will come and will be important later. And then you go down, and it's like a playroom with like a TV, and that's kind of Coon's like play space. And then you can go all the way down, and there's a door, and you go out. So that's the way the house is laid out. And over the course of the movie, whenever Coon is in that kind of courtyard area, he encounters first the like personified dog who he finds out who he figured out is a dog because he sees a ball on the floor. He picks the ball up, the like middle aged this like middle aged man just stares him in the face and he throws the ball. The middle aged man runs and gets the ball, brings it back. And then he's like Huh? And then he, like, walks around behind the middle-aged man, throws up his coat, and just, like, like, oh, dog tail! Pulls the dog tail out of the middle-aged man's butt, sticks it into his butt, turns into a dog person, and goes running around the house. It is the most hosted of moments you could ever imagine, and it's magical. And then they just kind of, like, move on from that. And kind of from there until 
maybe the third act of the movie, the dog is a side character. He's like a sidekick to um all of Coons and the next person he meets, like shenanigans. And the dog so after he meets the dog, a little while after that, the entire time he's kind of like having bigger and bigger breakdowns about not being the center of attention. After that, shortly after that, he meets that he's out in the courtyard, he's like fed up with dealing with Mirai, and he has just like decorated Mirai's face with all these goldfish crackers. And he gets bored of that. He's like, oh, this is boring. And leaves. It goes outside. And she's goldfish cracker. Picks up, eats it. And he's going, like, through a forest. And then he picks up another goldfish cracker. And you've probably seen this particular scene in the... Um... In the... Previews for this movie. Which I, I I might toss a link to in the description, just so you know where to find it. Just, just so you can see it if you haven't. Um, but no, that the previews just, like, play this movie out as being a totally different movie than you actually end up seeing in theaters. Um, so, she, he encountered Mirai, and... As an as a middle, I think as a middle school girl, or no, as as a high school girl, I think he encountered Mirai. Maybe actually, I think middle school. Yeah, so he encountered like a like a let's say thirteen, fourteen ish year old Mirai. So he encountered his little sister as an older person. And Mira's like, you shouldn't decorate, you shouldn't stick goldfish on my face, Coon. You suck. And, you know, like, one thing leads to another, and they end up having to, like, put away this, like, shrine decoration thing because it's bad luck to keep it out. And they have just, like, uh, this amazing... Three Stooges sneaking comedy routine vis-a-vis Memorial Hosida that is... Uh, it's inspired. <laughs> it is deeply inspired. I don't think I've ever seen him do comedy in the same way he does in this movie, but it's really good. It just, it's really good. There's also the B-game... Which is amazing. <laughs> and the cutest thing. One of the cutest things I've ever seen. Put to film. <laughs> but. This whole. Like like I keep saying. This whole movie is about. Kuhn. It, learning to. Share. The spotlight. And. Uh, it and in learning to share the spotlight, he meets more and more kind of fantastical character. Meets all these different fantastical characters, 
but they're all always related to they're all always people in his family who he hasn't who they're all, all always people in his family interp reinterpreted by time so and the person who holds this all together is the character they call Mirai from the future. And Mirai keeps showing up through each kind of vignette. And eventually he he, he does a scene did a segment of the movie where he meets his mom as a young girl and they, you know, go back to his mom's house and they like his mom is a rambunctious kid. He he meets his mom at the same, who, when he meets his mom, she is the same age as he is. And they go back to, they go back to her house, and they mess it all up, and they get in trouble, and his mom, like, pushes him out, and is like, you can't be here, G run away, I, we're gonna get yelled at, and I don't want you to get yelled at, and you hear her mom, you hear you hear the mother's grandma, or, or you hear his grandma scream at his mom, and like, I've taken all your toys away, that's it, no more candy for you. And it, and later on in present day, or in like non-imaginary present day, you, they, the mother and grandmother have a conversation about like, the mother's like, I always leave my temper with him. I, I wait. I hope I'm being a good parent. And the grandmother's like, I used to yell at you a lot. You used to be a bad kid. And it, it's a whole... And this is always true of Memorial Hosoda's movies, and it's probably a reason I enjoy them so much. Memorial hosted movies take different forms, but at their at their core, they're always about family. They're always about friendship. They're always about relationships. Some wars is ultimately about love. Um, Wolf Children is about love and raising and like raising a family. Um, and raising a family in very diverse circumstances. Um, the Boy and the Beast is about found family and, like, you know, making it, going from being in a world where you are alone to being in a world where you know there's people there for you. And this movie is also about family, but it's about, and what I like about Mirai especially is it's not just about family it's not just about like the warm fuzziness of family and it doesn't portray people in that family being perfect it portrays them as being flawed and as not and as even if they've done something before not knowing what they're doing there's a great scene of um Kuhn and his dad so after Kuhn meets his mother, 
Um, and there's a good way to do this. There's a better way to do this than I was thinking. But um, after Kuhn meets his mother, Kuhn's mother reveals to him like the way I got like the way I always wanted a cat, but my grandma, but my mom's allergic to cats, or your grandma's allergic to cats, basically, or your grandma's allergic to animals. I think is the way she puts it. So I just put a note in her shoe, and I'm gonna put a note in her shoe. Until she gives up and gets me a cat. And you see early in the movie that Kuhn's mom as a kid has this little doll of a cat. Which you're led to believe is the kind of compromise that the grandma comes up with eventually. And so Kuhn... Gets in his head that he wants a bike because he wants a present, basically. After seeing that, um, after seeing that picture of his mom with a little cat doll, he wants a present. And he puts in, he puts in, so he, once he's back in the present day, he, his dad is like, I can't believe you got her to buy you a bike. You put a note in her shoe. That's adorable. And then... <laughs> and then the dad goes, Maybe I should do that. <laughs> Which is just the best, most dad moment they could have done with that. And it's great. <laughs> but it... So, when... But when they're out and the dad is trying to teach Kuhn how to ride a bike. Because Kuhn sees all the other kids in the park with bikes don't have training wheels, he's like, Dad, take the training wheels off. And Dad's like, are you sure? He's like, I'm sure. And he's like, you've never done this before. Are you sure? He's like, I'm so sure. And the dad struggles with him with trying to teach him how to ride a bike. And Coon's like, Dad, can you show me how to do this? The dad's like, he tries his best, but he can't. But there's no... There's, like, the initial flare-up of, like, I'm a, I'm a kid, and I'm gonna, like, freak out and get pissed at you because I'm a kid, and I never want to ride bikes with you again, Dad. But then he meets Grandpa. Then when he goes out to... When he goes out to the, like, courtyard person he meets is his grandpa, is his great-grandpa, who after, and this was, and this was really, also really interesting, is, um, there's a, the big black spot in a lot of Japanese media that is uh, only now kind of trying, kind of, not only now, but is more and more as it's moved away from, explored, and that is World War Two, And it, the way we call World War Two the war, uh, kind of everybody calls World War Two the war, because it was the war. It was the last war that everyone could, that, every, that everyone got to participate in equally, kind of. Um, 
but the the great great grandpa was injured in the war and he ha- he ha- he had like a bad leg or he had a like a big limp and after being a navy officer who barely survived when his ship was blown the fuck up he goes and works in a motorcycle factory and he and there's a whole and this whole scene and this whole sequence is about Coon learning to ride a bike and his like the spirit of his great grandpa teaching him how to ride a bike by teaching him how to ride a horse and then taking him on a motorcycle and then he gets up, he's like, Dad, I wanna go to the park again and Zab's like, Are you sure? He's like, Yes, I'm sure And then he like figures out how to ride the bike and he becomes like fearless and figured out how to ride the bike. So, the the plot device for the for like the time travel and for him meeting all these old members of his family is about Kuhn growing up and about Kuhn like growing to be a better uh, uh, not necessarily growing to be a better person and growing to care care about his family in a more in a less self-centered way and they so there's a scene where they go through so they go through those so they go through those three scenes and Mirai shows up in all but one of them, and the one that she doesn't show up in is the bike one. It's the one where he Coon learns how to ride a bike through magical spirit magic, spirit imagination magic. But the last scene is where it gets really interesting, for, not just from a like movie standpoint, but from a not just from a plot standpoint, but from a film standpoint, because the last imaginary scene is Kuhn shows up at a train station. And he meets what you later find out, but at the time are very, very clued in to be the future older version of himself. And the future older version of himself is like, don't get on the train, because the the thing that sparks Kuhn to going to the courtyard this time is he's had it with his parents and he's running away. And he like packs himself a packs himself a juice box, a banana and an apple and a tiny backpack like an adorable kid trying to run away and he tries to run away and he gets into the courtyard, trips and falls. And when he gets up, he's at a train station. And trains aren't a trains are kind of the little kid gag in this movie, because he's just, like, he's in love with trains. He's all these model trains, and he knows all the names of the trains. He is, like, on, uh, he's on the fast track to train chan kind of little kid, and it's adorable in the way that little kids are obsessed with things, and it's adorable. Um, but the motif for the last episode, for the last, like, imagination segment is he 
gets on a train when the older version of himself says, don't do it. So he gets on the train, takes the train all the way to um, Tokyo Station. And when he gets out of Tokyo Station, he can't go through the ticket machine. So he gets pissed off. It's like, I'm going home. And then he can't get home because he doesn't know where he is. And he he's like, has a little freak out little kid moment. And he thinks he sees his dad twice. And then he's like, not my dad. Just like, dude. Like, A, it's not his dad, but it's just like these doofus idiot dads. And then he thinks that he sees his mom. And his mom is first these like random ladies who the animation slightly changes here and that's important. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but th they turn around and they're like, the like, um, they're like doll faces. They're like, Whoop! and the last mom turns around and she's a demon lady. And in the, in the, in the, like earlier in the movie, you see that when Coon gets angry as a mom, he calls her a hag because he knows it like pisses her off. And he draw and when he like gets angry at her, he draws her as this like big like Hanya woman thing, which is pretty good. Um and that's the face that he meets. He like sees his drawing personified like, oh hag shit! Um, but he, so he, he doesn't, so he like freaks out at that, sits down, hangs out with the juice box for a while, and he sees there's a lost and found area, and he goes up to the lost and found area, and, oh, and I should note that when he's riding on the train and he sees all these different trains and he's like, thinks they're all super cool. And he's, like, pointing out all the trains. He knows all the names of the trains. But in the distance, he sees this evil bullet train. And he's just like, oh, shit. And, like, the movies made it to made you believe, like, oh, shit, that's a bad train. That's a bad train to nowhere land. And so he sees that. And, he, and the whole sequence with him seeing, these, like, being lost in Tokyo Station happens. And he goes up to Lost and Found, and he's waiting in line Lost and Found, and he gets up to there. And he greeted with... And this was really, this was really inspired. This, like, the, the movie, up till now, has had this very hand animation. It's had a very hand animation with, like, light bursts of CGI in it. But at this point, it takes on this, like, fantastic Mr. Fox quality that's really inspired and really fun and really great and also appropriately creepy for like little kid like not knowing where he is but not being real jazzed about it um and he so he the this he meets this like giant auto like um, what's the best word for it? Like, automaton puppet, like, uh, 
animatronic puppet locked and found agent. And a locked and found agent life. Says, can you tell me your name? And he tell and Coon's like, Coon! And then you see a little clock man come out from the behind the shoulder of the automaton puppet and be like, ding, 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 ding. Like, can you tell me your... And he's like, can you tell me your mother's name? And he's like, no. Why would I know my mom's name? I, no, actually, he's like, he's like, what? What was my mom's name? Ah! And then time runs out, and the little clock man goes, eh, eh. he goes, can you tell me your, can you tell me your father's name? Can't tell me dad's name. It's like, can you tell me, can you tell me a member of your family's name? And then he said, I forget the dog's name, but he says the dog's name. And the, <laughs> the automaton agent is like, we cannot contact a pet, which is really good. But because, so that means the, the automaton knows the answer and knows that that is a pet name and just says no. And it, at this point, it's clear in the movie that like, if he could just like say like, Oh, my sister, Mirai. He's, like, in the imaginary world, and Mirai could be... Could, like, show up and pick him up and take him home. But he just doesn't, because at this point, he's being so stubborn that he doesn't... That he doesn't want Mirai to take his family away from him. Because he's a kid, and he doesn't know any better. And then, so the automaton's like, Well, you cannot name anyone who could be responsible for you. So... We are sending you on, and anyone who cannot do that has to get on a bullet train, that an evil bullet train, that takes you to a lonely pit. <laughs> and that's presented with like, oh shit! And so, he is like, ferried off to a platform in which a bullet train, an, e an evil dragon train come, shows up, the doors open up, and try to suck him in. And he's like, no, don't want to go on the train. Don't want to go to Lonely Pit. That's bad. And then he sees the baby Mirai, and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? So he runs over, and he gets baby Mirai, and he's like, I'm her older brother, in a very triumphant way. And then Mirai, sh like, drops out of the sky, takes him, and, like, they fly up, and they fly into the tree. And remember the tree? The, um, like, lone tree in the middle of their courtyard, in the middle of their crazy house? Uh, that is supposedly the, like, vehicle of all this time travel. It is a, it is a, I think she described it as a, index of their fam of their family's history and it contains kind of the spirits of all the members of their family past present and future and they they take you through the you see a, a glimpse of the you had seen the glimpse of the dad's past before but you see a more of a glimpse of the dad's past you see a glimpse of the mother's past you go back to the moment when the grandfather, when grandfather, when grandma, when the grandma and grandpa, pa, like, proposed to each other, and 
it all wraps up in this nice little thing. And then they go back to the present. But then they, then they go to what seems to be the present. But he sees Mirai from the future there. And he sees himself from the future there. And Mirai's like, this is me in the present day. But you need, because Mirai had bought him there, and she's like, this is me in the present day. You get home safe. And he, like, gets home. He gets home to his time, to his, like, he gets, he gets to his time frame. And he just, he's grown up, and he's become a, he, he's, he hasn't, like, physically grown up, but he has become, like, emotion, this movie has taken him through being emotionally ready to, like, be a big brother, and it's, it's this heartwarming, fun, like, fun, like, and what's interesting about this is I don't, I don't think little kids would not like this movie, but I think you'd get the most out of this movie if you were maybe, like, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that, because it, it's not, it's not not a kid's movie, but it's not, not an adult's movie, if that makes any sense. It, they, the, the parents clearly have very adult conversations with each other, and they have very adult interactions, even if they are slightly, like, heightened Mamoru Hosoda anime interactions, like... There's this great scene early on in the movie where the dad is talking to the to like the neighborhood mom who come over to like congratulate them on their new on their new baby and he's like, Yeah, I hope I'm doing okay. I forgot how hard this is and they're like, You're probably doing fine. When when is your wife when are you and your wife going back to work? He's like, Oh, I'm not going back to work. My wife goes back to work in a few days and I'm just gonna I'm oh I can I can work from home since I work freelance now and I can do the house chores when I whenever I have time and they're all like, Oh, you're so responsible. You're amazing. It's like I'm really not that amazing and he seems like he doesn't have a big head about it. But when he gets in, when he gets inside, the mother is just like, you know you're actually going to have to clean the house, right? And he's like, oh, fuck. I, she's right. I fuck. And what's nice is they have those interactions. They have those, like, the, the parents, the mom and the dad are tough on each other. But they never. It's never like the. It's never. It. A different movie has the scene where they have such problems that they end up like almost getting a divorce, and they fall back in love with each other, and somehow Kuhn caused that. This movie doesn't have that. It has like. They read some parenting books about maybe their kid might not might not be cool with the younger with the younger kid, 
but they so they were prepared for it but they also they were like they weren't just irresponsibly having a kid when they didn't love each other enough to have a kid does that make any sense and it it's nice to see a portrait of a dysfunctional family that is not so dysfunctional that almost that's always almost breaking all the time um so yeah it's this is it's just a really Mirai is just a really fun ride and if you if you have the chance to go see it in theaters um if you have the chance to see most anime movies in theaters you should go see them because they are more often than not even if they're commercial they are weird art pieces that deserve to be seen by prying eyes, by thoughtful eyes, um, by even by even unthoughtful eyes, because they will make you think about things. They will make you think about the importance of things. Um, but if you have the chance to see this movie, if it's playing in the theater near you, definitely take it. Like, get a ticket, go to it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a movie for everybody, but it's a fun. But it's, like I keep said before it's a fun ride and on that note if you've enjoyed this podcast please be sure to subscribe to it i do this every week i for once know what i'm talking about next week already and maybe even the week after and maybe even the week after that and maybe then it'll be 2019 and i'll have my head on straight again um but if you like this podcast be sure to subscribe be sure to if you do if you're already subscribed, go ahead and leave me a review in the on Apple on Apple Podcasts of five star reviews. Let me know what you like. Maybe let me know what you think I could improve on. I um was inspired to go out and get a better recording setup by a listener who said that he really thought the podcast was great. He just thought the audio quality was a little wanting, so I, you know, invested in a cool, fancy microphone. But, um, uh, so, yeah. And if you, um, so, yeah, if you have already done all that, thank you profusely. I... And until next time, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you later. This summer,細田守監督最新作甘えん坊の男の子くんちゃん大好きなお母さんとお父さんは赤ん坊の未来ちゃんでてっぱいああ未来ちゃん好きくないそんなくんちゃんの前に現れたのはお兄ちゃん。未来からやってきた妹の未来ちゃんでした。雲の静かな降りてきたんだ。千年の片へ雲。ではなくしたものは自分自身というわけですね。my baby go お兄ちゃん! 放置 